Hello, lovely. It's Shauna Lee, and welcome back to the Soul Frequency Show podcast, where we're stepping into the light and raising our frequency together. Each week, we get to return to this sacred space to have conversations about the things we all experience in life, love, health, and career. A space where we, as spiritual beings, having this human experience, can amplify our gifts and remember our truth. The title of this episode is Self-Confidence. So confidence is the beginning of all good things, really. I have seen confidence open doors like nothing else, not even skill, but just confidence. And sometimes we feel like we need to keep learning something new or trying to gain some sort of mastery over a new skill to hopefully someday get to confidence. But really, confidence is something we just need to understand, learn about, and cultivate within ourselves. And something really incredible happens when we switch over to finally feeling confident in any area of our life, in business, in relationships, in a new skill set whatever it is. And I've known that it is challenging to not feel confident sometimes. I have felt not confident in some new skills I've taken on over the years. It's an awful feeling, like your first time trying something new and wondering if it's going to work and wondering if you can do it. I mean, anybody that's done anything new knows that's challenging. But When you move beyond that new thing and you keep doing it and you keep doing it and you keep showing up, there is a confidence that builds, right? There's a confidence in your skill set. There's a personal confidence that builds. And that is like the secret sauce, you know, getting to the point where you start building that confidence in anything you're doing or in yourself is really, really important. And generally speaking, self-confidence is at the core of feeling confident in anything new, right? Anything you do outside of yourself all really stems back to this idea of self-confidence. So we're going to talk all about this today. And my guest, Dr. Aziz, is the world's leading confidence expert. He teaches people how to learn confidence so they can eliminate self-doubt, master conversations, accelerate in their careers, and create deeply fulfilling relationships. He completed his doctoral training at Stanford and Palo Alto universities and is the founder of the Center for Social Confidence. He has a large online following with his podcast and YouTube videos and is the author of three best-selling books that we talk about on the show today, including his most popular book, Not Nice. With no further ado, Dr. Aziz. Dr. Aziz, welcome to the show. We are happy you're here. I am glad to be here. Well, I can't think of a better topic to talk about in confidence. And, you know, I think it's like the mystery ingredient, right? Like, how are people confident? How do we get confidence? Um, And I think I love your exploration and I love your approach. And I'm always, I'm a questioning mind. So I'm always like, let's get to the nitty gritty on this. So hopefully we can do that for people today. Before we jump into everything that you know about confidence, because we're going to ask you lots of questions, um, maybe you can share a little bit about your journey. How does someone 
end up feeling passionate about confidence and sharing confidence? Being obsessed with confidence, yes. Well, <laughs> what, what leads to someone to be obsessed with confidence might be a long period of time in which you know, someone didn't have it, right? That's the case. Like someone's obsessed with making money or obsessed with, you know, getting accolades that they might've had a period of time in their life where they, they felt impoverished or lack of access or lack of recognition. And in my case, it was a lack of confidence. I experienced uh, significantly increasing amounts of social anxiety starting about the age of 11 to 12. And it just basically got worse every year. Um, for about a decade of my life, I lived in a large amount of daily anxiety, inferiority, and hesitation. And that, and then the worst part about that was the, the belief, the idea that this is how it, it is. This is who I am. I had a ton of reasons as to why I was less than or inferior or a ton of reasons why people wouldn't like me. And so I lived in that and, it, and I, I didn't perceive there was a possibility for change. And that, you know, compounded over so many years led to fortunately a breakthrough and then actually a whole new course of my life that I've been on for the last 17 years that's been dedicated to obsessively studying confidence in all its different facets, you know, from how do we go from feeling like we have no confidence in an area of our lives to at least average, but then how do we take it beyond that to extraordinary confidence? And so that's what I am have been endlessly passionate about and not only studying it, but then how do we help people do it and do it as rapidly as possible? It's so great. So what have you found like in you looking into this confidence is, does this have to do with the way that you're raised? Does it have to do with just your own personal journey? Like what is it, what is the, some of the conclusions that you've come to about how we grow up to feel confident or not confident in certain areas of our life. It's your parents' fault. Well, ah, I, I like, let's blame other people. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> but, but actually, you know, the, we are in many ways, I mean, we're, we're strongly influenced and conditioned in the environment in which we grow up. I mean, that's how we understand reality. We observe, we look, we see what occurs, we see how we're treated and that all comes together to create a sense of who am I identity, right? Who am I? What's possible for me? What's good and bad? What's right and wrong? How are people going to treat me? And so there are some major forces. One, of course, is our family. That includes our family, parents, whoever raised us, siblings, cousins, people who are closely in our lives day in and day out. And not only how they responded and treated us, but also just how they approach the world. I can't tell you how many clients I've worked with who you know, one of their parents was very socially anxious and they just watched, oh, this is what you do. When you go in the world, you don't make eye contact with people and you certainly don't speak up for yourself because that's what mom did or that's what dad did. So we definitely absorb a lot growing up. Then we go into school and we, and we have a very, at least in the United States, have a very peer oriented culture. So there's a strong encouragement from parents. It's like, hey, go, you know, hang out with other kids and make friends. And then kids end up spending a lot of time around other kids who may be equally insecure, equally uh, savage in their attack of each other to try to maintain their own sense of superiority or confidence. And we can kind of be left to our own devices. And you know, at its best, it's, uh, we feel like a pressure to conform. And at its worst, it becomes kind of like a Lord of the Flies experience where kids are just uh, doing whatever they can to stay afloat. 
And a lot of people start to develop uh, some sense of inferiority or social anxiety around the age of you know, 10, 11, 12, when they start to develop a sense of, do I fit in or not? Am I attractive or not? And then the third component that I'd say really heavily influences us is our broader culture. And that's just massive uh, messaging from a very young age with millions of images and videos and cartoons and clips. And it's a very subtle and sometimes not so subtle programming of our sense of who we should be, what is lovable, what is good. And that all comes together to create, uh, you know, potentially a, a large amount of struggles with confidence. Yeah. And do you feel like it's all of those like interplaying for everybody? Absolutely. And, and, you know, one can be a protective factor against the other. So if you have a very nurturing, warm home environment in which you're given the core nutrients that children need, such as feeling seen by their parents, feeling known by their parents, feeling loved by their parents, feeling, you know, uh, teaching them how to navigate different social situations and uh, feelings, that can be a protective factor when you know you're at school with the kids like what do i do when so and so challenge you know picks on me or it could be a protective factor uh, against when you get exposed to this is how a woman should look or this is how a man should be you kind of have a much stronger sense of uh, rooted i'm okay um if you had that so yeah they're all in inter they're all in constant interplay with each other you know what's interesting as we're talking about this i was just remembering a story and maybe it will help uh, everybody listening too. I actually remember a time like, so when you're really, really little, like you just, you know, you're just kind of living and you don't, you know, you have nothing to, you're not comparing, right? Like this is what my family's like. This is what somebody else's family's like or anything like that. And I remember an instance, I was a dancer when I was young and I remember an instance where there were other girls around me in the dance world and they were literally like skinny little girls, right? Like very, very, like a little girl body. And they were talking about how fat they were. And, and I remember where I was standing. I remember the room and it was the first time in my life. I'm like, well, if they think they're fat, something must be wrong with me. And I, and I didn't ever prior to that, like, you know, consider that. Like I didn't even, I don't think I like looked at my body and thought anything. It was just my body. Like I was just existing in life. And it stuck with me so much so that here decades later, I remember that moment and I'm like, well, if they don't feel like their bodies are good, then who am I to feel like my body is good? And so I think it's it's an interesting thing where you're talking about like friends and peers and, you know, and society because I don't think if left by myself, like out in the forest, I would have questioned that. But this environment that I was in where people were questioning that, I was like, Shh, I should be questioned. I must have to question this too. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it can, it can be a, a huge moment uh, where you're shamed or mocked, or it could be the subtlest you know, comment from someone, you know, not, not that long ago, we have two children, uh, they're four and six. And, you know, we're, my wife and I are, we're hippies. We go to Burning Man and festivals and, and all kinds <laughs> yeah. of stuff. So we're, you know, relaxed if our kids are naked around the house and always yeah. have been. And, um, and so, you know, as they got a bit older, it's kind of like, okay, if you go out in the world, you got you to gotta put some pants on and stuff. But they were, we were at the river with some, some friends and one of their uh, other kids is maybe eight, eight nine years old. And um, all of a sudden there was something happened. They were, they were changing into their swim trunks or something. And 
from that day on, he was like more, way more uncomfortable being naked and changing in front of people and all these things. And so my wife went and approached him and said, like, what happened? And, you know, and he's kind of like, oh, nothing, nothing happened. But you can only guess there, there may have been, we don't know for sure, some little comment, some exchange there. Like, oh, you're changing or oh, that's gross or who knows what. And that's all it takes to start yeah. to plant the seed. And, you know, in this case, not a huge issue, but what you're describing around body image or worthiness or how funny you should be or whether you should speak in front of a group. I mean, so many people I help with uh, public speaking anxiety, they'll have the very specific moment of the smallest thing. Like I went in third grade, I had to raise my hand, answer a question and I, and I blanked and everyone looked at me and I felt so anxious. And then, you know, flash forward 36 years, they're in a boardroom and they're nervous to speak up. And so, you know, and unfortunately, if someone's listening to this and saying, oh my God, I have to identify every single moment in my life and how do I do it? And, and the good news is it doesn't matter how many of these experiences we've had and even, it doesn't even matter how intense they are. There is a way to completely transform our confidence and be able to do all the things that we want to do, whether it's loving our body or letting our body be seen or speaking up confidently. And that's why I'm so passionate about it is because uh, understanding these things is actually very helpful in liberating us. Yeah, it's so good. And I want to talk about two of your books, but I want to start out with On My Own Side book, which is called, your friendly name is Omos, um, nickname for the book. And On My Own Side, I, I just, I was kind of stopped in my tracks when I was really looking into this book and reading parts of it and thinking about the concept of being on your own side and how I was never ever told to be on my own side. I, that wasn't even a concept. Like, you know, it was, we don't talk to kids about that. We don't talk to people about that, right? It's like in so many ways, we are not on our own side for so many reasons. And so I was looking through, you know, my own life and my own journey and thinking about what does it mean to be on your own side and to not just do that, you know, once a month or once a year, but to really look into this. And so there are several areas you talked about and that I thought were really important to bring up. And can you talk a little bit about discounting and dismissing? Ah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there are so many different ways that we cannot be on our own side. And the simplest way to get a sense of what that is, is, well, think about someone that you really love and care for, uh, a friend, a child, a partner, someone that's, that's near and dear to you and how in, you know, maybe you're having a fight or something and then you, and then you say something, but in general, you're on their side. And so, you know, if they have a hard time at work and someone's challenging them or picking on them, you're like, oh man, you, you want to be there. You want to support them. You want to care for them. You know, if they get, uh, have a challenging experience in dating or something ends or they get rejected, you don't go to them and say, well, of course they rejected you because you're, because you're gross and no, you know, you don't attack them like that. It, it would be, it would feel so off to do that. And yet what I noticed with, um, you know, myself and then so many clients that I work with is we have this horrible a toxic relationship with ourselves. And for some people, it's only when they fail, only when they get rejected. And some people like myself, it was chronic. It's like you wake up in the morning, what do you do? Ah, pick on yourself. And you walk into a space and you see someone, ah, I might as well compare myself and feel worse. And so I break it down into some of the 10 major ways. And one of those is um, discounting and dismissing. And this is kind of just a way that we can habitually, almost without even really knowing it, 
uh, just kind of put aside our needs, our desires, even our opinions and perspectives. And it might not be really harsh, but it's just subtle enough to where what the, the essence of it is what I think matters less than what someone else thinks. What I want in this situation matters less than what someone else wants. And we tend to, as a result, defer to the world around us to the detriment of our own desires, our own goals, our own dreams, and honestly, to the detriment of our healthy relationships. Because if you're constantly dismissing and deferring and doing these things in your relationships, they're not going to thrive. It's true. And I think about, you know, we talk a lot on the show about purpose and really being able to you know, live in your soul's highest alignment to come here and really define how it is you want to spend your days, right? And that, and where you want to like really put your energy. And discounting and dismissing is one of the ways that I see that we stay very disconnected from who we really are, right? And if we're always, I, there's a certain amount of like, um, like ability to say, this is what I want and I want to move forward in my life that is necessary to, you know, to build anything, right? Or create anything. And so that really, I feel like is an important piece of the puzzle of understanding how we do that. Also, you talk about perfectionism. Ugh, perfectionism was my old BFF. We broke up, but we, she's still there from time to time. <laughs> I talk about her in my still book. Still shows up at my house now and then. It's awkward. Occasionally. Yeah. You know, it's really funny. I started doing something a while back. You know, the, the silliest things can be so powerful. Um, but to kind of like ward off this like perfectionism thing, I actually leave like a small error in almost everything I do. Like in my book, there's a small spelling error, like everything, because it, you know, the old me would have just gone crazy, right? Like, oh, there's something wrong, you know, with this. I didn't do it right. I didn't get it right. And it's my little nod. It's my little wink to, it's okay, right? Mm. Um, I don't need to make it all perfect. So, um, and then you talk about relentless busyness. Ugh. We've been forced to not be as busy this year, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it depends. Yeah, <laughs> it depends. I know. I'm I've been pretty busy this year, but but a lot of people like have not been able to live the lives that they were living, you know, prior to early this year. So, have you seen like in your practice with with people not being able to be as busy that some stuff is really coming up? You know, absolutely. It really depends um, on the person and how they re react to the situation. But that's definitely a theme. You know, it might block some uh, immediate certain social exercises or engagements they like to do, ways that they spend their time. And I'm sure we all have felt that in a variety of ways. And yes, I mean, the relentless busyness, it's not necessarily about uh, being active and engaged. I mean, you might be very busy in a day. Uh, the, the relentless part is that there is no space to slow down. And even if there's an opportunity to slow down, we choose not to. And so in between our busyness, we fill the gaps with distraction. And then we're busy in another kind of way, you know, busy with uh, either eh, arguably useful time, like checking something repeatedly or looking at some group or email thing, or even just straight up, you know, we're entertaining ourselves or distracting ourselves with some videos or media of some sort. And so the end result is 
there's really no space to actually pay attention to these things. Like, what do I feel? What do I want? What am I experiencing? What is life like today? And uh, I've seen that for some people that are forced to slow down, that can be very uncomfortable. And there could be a lot of sort of railing or fighting against the circumstances. But if we are willing to see that perhaps, perhaps there's a way that our circumstances don't have to define our reality, or at least our emotional experience, and potentially there's even a gift in any situation. And if, if so, if this slowing, forced slowing down were a gift, you know, what would it be? And that's what I guide people to start to investigate. I love that. And then what do you see about comparison? Because I hear a lot about this of people, you know, talking about comparison, certainly on social media, um, but a lot of comparison in life. So do you feel like it's getting worse with comparison with social media? Um, What do you see on your end? I'd imagine so. I mean, we have so many more opportunities to broaden our view, as it were. You know, normally, who would you compare yourself to? Those that you saw around you. I mean, maybe you'd see someone on TV or something like that. But now you get to be comparing yourself to people who are not necessarily celebrities or public figures. You can look at anyone and everyone. And everyone, everyone for the most part, has you know, their best PR up in their, all their profiles. And so it can just exacerbate what might already be there because the reason that comparison is painful is not because we can discern and see difference between each of us. I mean, that's part of life, right? Uniqueness and difference is, is everywhere. Everything is subtly different. And there's, there's just a whole, I mean, amazing abundance of variety in the, in the, in the universe. And yet what we'll do is we'll, we'll usually fixate on very specific things. And when I guide people to, to really free themselves from that, that comparison, we want, first we want to see that the comparison, especially if it's causing a lot of pain and suffering, which it often does, is actually a form of self-attack. And what we're doing is we're seeing certain qualities or attributes that make that person, quote, better and superior and us inferior. And so it could be helpful to look at what are those attributes? Because what happens is we have what's called, uh, it's, it's our worth is, is, it's a value equivalent. Our value is based upon something. It's conditional. So I'm worthy, I'm valuable if dot, dot, dot. Now, what's fascinating is you can look at your comparisons because if you compare yourself, let's say someone's got, I don't know, slightly bigger, longer fingernails than you. You might not go, wow, man, I'm such a loser. Look at that. Oh, look at their fingernails. They're so amazing. Uh, maybe someone out there might have a, you know, a complex around their fingernails. But I'm picking an example that for most people is pretty innocuous. So what you want to look at is, okay, but I do compare myself on money or body image or whatever the things are. And then you can take a step back and say, huh, of all the differences I can notice between me and others, I wonder why I fixate on those. Could it have anything to do with what we were talking about earlier in this interview about the way we've been conditioned to think, you know, because society will tell you, this is what's valuable. This is what makes you worthy. So we, we are spoon fed those value equivalents until we wake up, until we defy that and claim being on our own side. And so I think when we notice comparison firing off kind of uh, automatically, it's our responsibility to take charge of that and say, hey, I'm not going to do that to myself anymore. And I'm really going to unpack every comparison in which I feel inferior has nothing to do with that other person that actually is a signal 
for where I need to increase my sense of being on my own side, self-compassion, and ultimately self-love. It's so great. Um, so we talked about some of the, you know, some of the things that we need to look at. You also talk about the four elements of OMOS, kindness, respect, patience, and accountability. How can people start to kind of integrate this into their lives? Yeah, I love it. I mean, even just having those written down somewhere could be valuable to look at, you know, uh, just basic kindness. Uh, you know, someone I was talking with about this said, oh, you mean like, because uh, I was saying, well, how would you treat a friend this way? And, they're, and they, they coined the term the bestie test. And I was like, I like that. So, you know, does this pass the bestie test? Or, or would you, you want to treat a niece or a nephew this way? Just basic kindness. And it, it's, it's kind of this, the whole first part of the book is called Insanity. Because it's this strange, it's like the frog in the pot of water that gets hotter and hotter and doesn't know to jump out. Like we've just been sort of, slowly becoming more and more toxic with ourselves. And so we might look in the mirror and just go disgusting and, and kind of have this expression of contempt for ourselves and then go about our day as if nothing horrible just happened. Whereas if you saw that in a romantic relationship and the, well, the husband said that to the wife or the wife said that to the husband, or you'd be like, Oh my God, that was, that was, that was abusive. That's, that's awful to, to be treated that way. So that's what we want. We want to wake up to that. And we want to say, okay, I'm gonna start treating myself with kindness Obviously, patience is huge because we can be so impatient with ourselves, especially with our feelings and our moods or our, our lack of perfection. We can be so impatient and relentless around that. Respect is a way, I mean, that's not only how we talk to ourselves, but what we expose ourselves to, what kind of situations we put ourselves in, what kinds of things we tolerate in life. So a big part of being on our own side is not just saying, I love you to myself, but it's saying, hey, this situation is not healthy for me. Or I'm not going to do that to my body because that doesn't, that doesn't ultimately serve me. That's a form of being on our own side. So sometimes that means sometimes people think might, oh, uh, be on my own side, uh, you know, eat, eat whatever I want and let myself have the drinks because, <laughs> hey, I'm on my own side. And it's like, well, yeah, that's one level of it. And maybe that's in the short term, you're kind of giving yourself something like you, maybe you would give, uh, we've been trained as children that, you know, you show love sometimes through giving them rewards of, of usually sugar and other well, it starts with sugar and then it kind of, we, we take it from there as we get older, but maybe that isn't the most loving thing to do. Maybe the most loving thing to do is to, is to say, okay, you, you want this. Let's find a way to, to, you know, feed your heart more or give yourself some, some pleasure that doesn't have such a cost or a side effect. And then the last thing, which I think uh, people will often overlook is accountability because sometimes people have an objection to being on their own side it's like well if i'm on my own side then i'm just going to lose all my drive i'm going to be this i'm just going to love myself no matter what and, and i'm not going to be hungry to go achieve more and at first i like to point out okay isn't that a problem so you're saying you're hungry to achieve because you feel so unworthy and you hate yourself okay yeah. and, Let's just take a moment to see. Maybe that's not the best source of fuel to begin with. But like, even let's if, stop right there. <laughs> yeah. You know, and maybe, even if that, you know, were the case, I could say, you know, being on your own side doesn't mean that you don't have standards or you don't hold yourself accountable. It's all about how you do it. How do you motivate yourself? And sometimes people say, well, I don't know how to make myself do something. I said, well, no one wants to be made to do anything. You got to be inspired. You got to be enrolled. You got to be encouraged. That's what we do for others. We have to learn how to master doing that for ourselves too. 
Such important points. I want to talk just briefly about your other book, Not Nice. Um, you know, I mean, people see the title Not Nice, like, am I not supposed to be nice? And I think there's a really big difference between kindness and nice. But can you talk a little bit about the inspiration for this book? Like what, what calls you up to write a book called Not Nice? Yeah, I love it. And it's meant to be uh, slightly provocative. Right. And because uh, I discovered, so I would, you know, I re record videos on my YouTube channel and uh, around a, a variety of topics, you know, confidence in the workplace, confidence in dating, relationships, self-confidence, uh, sometimes even around stuff around health and body image. And anytime I released a video that was around niceness, uh, you know, I had a video called, you know, want more confidence, be less nice. Uh, around assertiveness, around saying no, anything around that topic, that video would have triple the amount of views and have people either saying like, oh my gosh, this is so relevant for me or people saying, I hate this. This is horrible. How could you say that we should be bad humans? You know, you're a monster. And I said, <laughs> wow, I think I'm onto something here because there is a, it's a charged topic because of that conditioning. And I think part of the problem is the misunderstanding of what I mean when I say nice, because what most people, when they talk about being nice with somebody, that means, you know, hey, be nice to that person. That might mean, you know, don't, don't say what you really think or uh, make sure you take care of their feelings and in some way uh, do or be different than how you really are to make sure that it goes smooth, to make sure that they don't feel hurt, to make sure that no one feels guilty, to make sure that everything just goes okay and knowing it's rejected, you or them. And so I started to discover uh, that, you know, I saw this in myself because after I started to break out of the kind of basic social anxiety in my 20s, I spent another six or seven years having a really hard time being in relationships, especially romantic relationships. I thought, oh, if I can date, then all my problems are solved. And I discovered that my niceness, which was a lack of boundaries, saying yes when I wanted to say no, thinking it was selfish to ask for something or bad or wrong to point out something that wasn't working for me. I mean, basic stuff. I couldn't do it because I had to be a good, nice person. And I couldn't be selfish. And as a result, my relationship suffered. I, I basically couldn't stay in one more than a month or two without feeling like I was totally trapped. And if I did, <laughs> I would kind of white knuckle it. I would just start to lose my vitality and my life force. And it kind of become a shell of the person I was when I started the relationship. So I discovered along the way that niceness, for the most part, often means being inauthentic to keep things smooth. And so I said, hey, wait a minute, let's look for something better. And so what I love to tell people is the opposite of nice is not to be mean, cruel, or a jerk. The opposite of nice is to be boldly yourself and to be authentic. And that's the game that I want to play and help people play. Yeah, I love that. And you mentioned like, I think I just want to touch on this because I think it's important. And I think a lot of people, I get a lot of questions about social anxiety. Um, and you talked about, you know, breaking out of that. Were there any particular like things that you were doing that were, when you look back on your life and say, I was breaking out of this anxiety, were there particular things or any one thing you can share that was helpful at that time? Yes. I mean, that would be a huge area of study that I help and teach people with. I'd say the key two things uh, is do what scares you until fear has no power to stop you and decide 
to be on your own side no matter what. I mean, those are really the two fundamental factors. When I first started the journey, I didn't know the second one. And it was just, you know, get outside your comfort zone, do what scares you. And we've all heard that a million times. But I mean, in fact, I just taught a, a three-day online immersion. It was all, it's called the ultimate confidence breakthrough. And the whole thing was focused on how do we break through the fear of what other people think, the fear of rejection, uh, the fear of disapproval. And the whole half of the first day was focused on changing everyone's orientation to discomfort. Because most of us have a default setting of it's, if it's uncomfortable, I don't want to do it. Especially if it's socially uncomfortable, especially if I might get you know, disapproval or rejection, which might happen anytime you share an idea, speak up, ask someone for something, ask someone out, put your ideas out there, record a podcast and share it. I mean, anytime you do anything, there, unless you're just completely hiding and trying to be completely nice and fly under the radar, you run the risk of being exposed to rejection. So I said, we have to be able to lean into discomfort and embrace discomfort. And that's really what I began to do. And, and, and the key thing here is to see that it's about consistently doing it and doing it more than most people think. So I talk about how, you know, we can spend a lot of our life just basically avoiding it. That's what I did. I'm going to avoid all the potential risks of rejection and disapproval. And my life is very small. At some point, people will hear something like, feel the fear and do it anyway. And get outside your comfort zone. And they're like, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> and then they'll say, I'll only go outside of my comfort zone if it goes the way that I want. Right. And then they do it a few times. They're like, well, that didn't work. That's terrible. And then they stop. And the key is we have to not just expose ourselves to a little bit of discomfort to hopefully get an instantaneous result. This is a reconditioning process. This is about going into it again and again and again and actually transforming our relationship where instead of seeing discomfort as bad, what if discomfort is making you stronger? What if discomfort is a step to getting exactly what you want to create in your life? And we all know this when it comes to physical discomfort from say working out, but we don't make the leap to see that. That's the, exactly the same is the case for emotional discomfort. So that's the key major thing we consistently do. It. And that's what I did. I was like, you know, when I first started my confidence, I, I wanted to be able to connect particularly with women. I'd never really dated at the age of 20. I, I'd had maybe one quote girlfriend who had approached me and then I freaked out and ran off. So, I mean, I was like, I, I want to do this. And so I consistently started just talking to women, interacting with women, starting conversations. And it was very uncomfortable at first. I didn't know about what I teach now, which is about gradual exposure. You don't have to jump into the deep end, but I didn't know that. So I was just fl flailing around <laughs> in there. So, but I, and the reason people say, well, how did you have the motivation? How are you so courageous? I was like, it wasn't courage. I was desperate. I realized that if I stayed on this path that I'd been on for the last decade, for another decade or two decades after that, I, that was that was immense amount of pain to imagine that. So I will face any amount of discomfort right now. So I was thrown into the deep end. The thing that I would that I teach now and help people with is not only do we find that courage and that drive to face our discomfort, but we must learn how to be on our own side. How do you motivate yourself? I would be terrible. I'd in my head, come on, you wimp, do it, do it, do it. And that makes you more tense. Um, that makes the rejections that much more painful. After rejection, I'd feel so bad and uncomfortable. And so we got to learn how to soothe ourselves, tend to ourselves, encourage ourselves. And what that does is that allows us to actually take much more action and bold action more freely because we know that no matter what, we're going to be on our own sides. Oh, that's beautifully put. I love that. And you have something called the Confidence University 
I love that it's a university. Like, let's just, let's get the master's degree in confidence or the PhD. Tell us, for those listening, um, what is the Confidence University? Yeah, I love it. So, you know, to talk about a master's or a PhD, I, I run a, a small a year-long mastermind program for people. It's a group program. And it's, I tell people it's basically like getting a master's in confidence. And I would love if, you know, the whole world could join that program. But I realized that's not the case. And so I said, well, what is going to be the next best thing? And I, I don't do very much one-on-one -on -one work anymore with people. And I lead these live weekends. But I was like, the most powerful thing is when people can make incremental progress day in and day out. And I'm not going to be able to run a group with them or coach them myself. So what can I do? And you know, I'd get emails from high school people and college students and professionals. I'd be like, I want to help all these people. And so I created, it took me about two years to map it all and create it. And it's called Confidence University. And I said, okay, if I was sitting down with somebody and we were just going to guide them on how to skyrocket their confidence in every area of life, what would we do? And that's how it was born. So it starts with the confidence foundation. Because I was like, well, you can't go become you know, very confident in dating or in your career if you're foundation is full of holes. And so in the foundation is where I really teach people the basics of how to become a lot more bold, how to get on their own side. And I realized, you know, it's just a, a book is amazing. I love books, but it's just a digital book if I just teach them things. So we decided to build out the program to have action steps built into it. So someone watches a lesson or two, and then there's an action step. And these action steps start out, start out slow, you know, do some stuff in your journal. And then by the end of the foundation course, people are going out in the world and doing things they'd never thought they would do before. You're and getting really, out of your comfort zone, That's right? right, you know, so start them slow. And then from there, people can really focus in on, uh, you know, the next level courses of uh, social mastery, being able to talk to anyone and feel comfortable and network and create friendships. Uh, dating and relationships is a huge one as well. How to be, really know your value and worth in a, in a, in a new way. And then also how to create attraction from a place of authenticity rather than trying to play a role or uh, any game, that kind of thing. And then uh, career acceleration. Because I mean, in our careers, how bold are you? Are you able to put yourself out there and step up into leadership and, and own that you bring value as you learn and grow? So that is the, uh, it's, it's an in-depth study. It's a year long for anyone who wants to participate. I think it's a fantastic way to really take control of this process because confidence doesn't just happen. Like we build it. It's like, I want to get, you know, muscular and strong. Like that doesn't just happen. You have to, you have to build it. And it's the same with our confidence. I love that. What a powerful, and to immerse yourself for a year in just building the foundation and building the tools. That's wonderful. So I'm going to ask you now, first, wait, before we ask you the questions, tell people where they can find the Confidence University. Also, you have you know, some amazing videos and stuff for both of your books. Like what are the pages where they can um, find out about the almost book and the not nice book? I'll make it simple. The best place to start actually would just be draziz.com. That's D-R-A-Z-I-Z.com. Uh, from there, you can find about Confidence University. If you'd like, you can see about my books as well. Um, and then also, if you're just wanting to start learning uh, for free, then I have an ebook that on the website called Five Steps to Unleash Your Inner Confidence. And it teaches the five steps that I would guide anyone through on how to take control of your confidence. You can just enter your email and get that absolutely free. And then I have bonus video trainings that come with it. So no matter what you, where you are, if you want to start with that or you want to just dive into the full year, Confidence University, 
wherever you want to go, that's a, a, the best place to start. Wonderful. Awesome. So we're going to ask you the four questions we ask all of our guests. And um, it's just an opportunity for you to share maybe some, some stuff about your own personal journey. I know, you know, you can't be doing the work you're doing without always learning and growing and expanding yourself. And so what is the truth that you have come across maybe even recently in your life that felt really powerful, that felt like a catalyst for something? Yeah. And I'll pick something recent because a lot of the stories I told here were, you know, can sound like way back when. Um, but in my journey to higher and higher levels of confidence, I realized that at some point it caps out with me and self-confidence and that to reach the higher levels of confidence and grace with life, especially when circumstances, you know, are shifting and crazy in life and we can't necessarily control what happens outside of us. I realized that the highest level of confidence was actually a spiritual confidence. And so that's been a big study of mine for um, the last maybe five or six years. And so I think the truth that I was recently discovering is just how much everything is a gift and nothing is mine. You know, my body is not mine. We say my body, my wife, my kids, my house, my, it's like, it's not mine. It's, it's here while it lasts and it's a gift. And then the other profound truth that came with that is that everything is a gift and nothing can be taken from me if I give it back freely. Mm. And to me, that helps me remember to, you know, as quickly as possible, um, instantly submit or surrender to, you know, the divine will, whatever's happening. If it's meant to go, it'll go. And it's on me to surrender as quickly as possible. That is so beautiful. I talk about in my book, um, there's a part called stability is an illusion and it's mm -hmm. really surrendering to like the flow, like what you're talking about. If things, you know, everything's a gift and if it flows in, you know, wonderful. If it flows out, it's like being kind of like released from, you know, this ownership or, oh, this is stable, right? This is something that's not moving when in truth, like everything is in motion, right? Nature is in motion. So what a beautiful, and I love the way that you just expressed that. That is, that's a very, um, it's a very high spiritual, you know, awareness or truth. So what was it that got released for you in that truth? Like, what was it that you started to see differently? What, what perception or belief or way of being in the world did kind of fell away when you really embraced that truth? I'd say a lot of fear, you know, fear of, but I don't want this to happen. And I don't want that to happen. And fear can, you know, fear can come in the quote, bad times, right? Like, oh no, things, bad things, pain, but fear can also come in the, you know, what we consider the good times, right? Everything's going really well. Oh man, I hope I don't lose anything. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was going for a run one morning and I was just, uh, you know, I was feeling anxious and I was tuning in. I was like, what am I anxious about? Like things are going really well. And I, and I just, and of course, circumstances are, crazy in, in the world, but I'm like, yeah, but I'm navigating it and I have love in my life and I'm contributing and I have food and like, everything's okay. And the fear was like something, I'm going to lose something in the future. And that's when I really came up with that. Well, nothing can be taken if I give it freely. And so that knowing that I have the, that's the control that I do have. That's the choice that I have. I don't have control over when things come and go and what rate, but I have control over that I can choose or uh, practice, you know, sometimes easier, sometimes I want to clutch on, but 
uh, I have choice to let go swiftly and, um, and lovingly. And so I think that it frees up a lot of uh, fear because then it's like there, you don't, you don't have to anticipate or be uh, worried about outcomes that you don't want. Mm, that's such an important, and I think that you bring in a, an important point too, is sometimes, you know, even when things are getting better and better and even on the rise, that fear is present. Like sometimes, you know, people think like, oh, if, if, if my business was growing or my life was growing or my relationships are growing, like, then I won't feel the fear. And sometimes, you know what I mean? When things are expanding, there's fear there. Like, what if it doesn't keep going this way? Or what if I lose this? And so I think it's just important to understand, you know, I talk about fear a lot. I'm not to like bring more of it, but I just feel like we have to know where our fears lie. Like we have to understand, you know, the mechanism of fear and, and be able to just witness it, notice it and not let it, I always say it's in the background running your life if you are running from it. Yeah. Um, So it's, I love that you shared that. And then what has changed with this concept of everything being a gift and, with like your experience in life, like your daily experience, how has that shifted things for you? Yeah, I'd say that I I feel a lot greater ability to connect with some sense of guided state of flow. And I think, you know, I would do different uh, practices, um, ceremonies and other things where I I would feel it there. And I would kind of have this, you know, like temporary kind of I feel like, you know, cleansed and seeing more clearly and really seeing my place and feeling more humble and grateful to be alive. And, and then, you know, back to day to day life, and there's sort of be this distinction between the two. And I'd say more and more, uh, it's just it's led to a more continual state of of connection with that. And, and even when I'm not, and I guess I'm aware of like, okay, I'm not because I'm fighting it. And, okay, I can do that for as long as I need to. (laughs) <laughs> and then eventually, you know, it kind of gets, it's like I'm clutching something and then the divine kind of just like bangs my hand against the desk until I let it go. And then I could just let it go. So I'd say a, a lot more uh, guided state of flow, even when things are, are not, I'm not getting the desired outcome that I want. And that to me is the best part to, to see and experience because uh, that feels like freedom to me. And, and in even experiencing um, in the last couple of months, some significant challenges and even a health challenge and, and just like, you know, for the most part, like, okay, this is what's, this is what's happening. This is what's supposed to happen. And um, that, that to me feels extremely uh, liberating. Definitely. And what is it that keeps you in alignment? So what are the people, places, rituals, practices, things that keep you in a high frequency and keep you feeling good in your life? Yeah, man, it's all about the morning uh, routine, I would say, and having that time of space and silence. And I'll fill it with different things, but it's usually some form of that, that connection. It's like, it's not like it's going to sustain because I had it, I felt it one day, it doesn't automatically happen uh, the next day. It's like, I felt good because I ate really well that today. Well, you have to eat well the next day to feel good the next day. And so I will do forms of uh, meditation and prayer in the morning. And I also love to walk or run in the morning in the sunrise, especially, and just, you know, see the trees. I live in a, in a city, but I, you know, it's Portland. So there's lots of trees around. So I'll usually look at the tree line and nature around me more than I will like houses and cars and things and just really connect to that. And uh, one other interesting random side note about this 
when I'm walking or running, I've also experimented with putting my hands in different positions. Like normally you just kind of walk and your hands are down by your sides. I actually will try putting my hands like up and out, up over my head, like these postures of sort of celebration or opening um, that, that really compound that sense of connection. And thankfully, I've done enough what I call embarrassment inoculation, which I teach inside of Confidence <laughs> University, to where I'm like, I don't, I don't care. You know, in my, in my younger years, I would have been mortified to do anything out of the ordinary. And now I'm like, yeah, I can be walking down my you know, hands open and, you know, doing whatever I want down the street. And it's just, to me, it feels like such a beautiful way to, to really use what this body can do to, to tune in to, you know, different uh, frequencies. That is so funny that you say that. You have no idea. Like I walk through, I like put my arms aside me and I like literally let my arms dance like as I'm walking, like just kind of, I don't know, like feeling the rhythm of nature, right? And just kind of in celebration of nature. I can't, I just, it's so funny. When you start saying that, I'm like, no, just stop it. Like You do the arm <laughs> wiggle too? <laughs> I do. And like the funniest part, because everyone's out walking, right? Like over the past several months, like so... I typically go at the same time and I like, I see some of the same people, right? Like every night I, and they're probably go home and they're probably like, there's that girl again, <laughs> like with her arms out. I'm like, I'm that person. But you know what? Down the street from my house, it's so cool. There are these people that come like right at sundown and they do uh, Tai Chi or whatever in the parking lot of this school, like in my neighborhood. And they just, um, they're like an older couple and sometimes there's other people with them. And so whenever I walk by them doing my arm dances, I'm like, what's up people? <laughs> Here's all the people out in nature doing all the fun stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. And really, I mean, we wanna give ourselves that, that freedom because that's, that's, that's talking, the insanity that I was talking about in the first part of On My Own Side, yep. the book, it's like to, to restrict that ability to feel free and alive and joyful because someone might dislike it that that's that's the that's the crazy part that's yeah. <laughs> versus uh letting our arms move however we're called to yeah it's so good well oh my goodness thank you this has been just a wonderful moment and you've shared so many amazing tools like both just things people can start doing in this episode but also where to go to get more information and you guys um, Dr. Aziz has some amazing videos. Like, so I would just, you know, whether it's YouTube or on his website, I was watching all of them and they're really, really good and full of lots of content. So I highly recommend um, going to draziz.com and checking out his work. Thank you for spending this time with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. I'm Shauna Lee, and you've been listening to the Soul Frequency Show podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Soul Frequency. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this show. Join me next week for more powerful awakenings and positive vibes.